Some years ago, I think Dewey and I decided it was in 2007. Is that what we decided, Dewey? Or 2006? And maybe 2007, because you said the building was here already, right? We had a little old church building that sat out here in the parking lot. Many of you don't know much about that, actually. Um, and uh, Dewey was with us and had revival meetings at our church, and I was a pretty young guy. Uh, and I was sitting in the pew. I was actually, if that was 2007, I was recently in the ministry. And uh, Dewey got up to speak, and he made a few opening remarks. And I really don't know what he has planned this morning, but this is my memory. This is what sticks so clearly, and I've spoken to a few of you that do that were here at that time, and you've shared the same memory with me, so I think I'm correct in saying this. He made a few opening remarks, and then he asked Glenn or asked the song leader to come back up and lead a song, and he said, I'm going to step into the little room we had back here, and he came out wearing a little Bible time costume, looking a little bit like we do during Bible school time, and he began to speak, and it took me, I must confess, it took me a little while to catch on that he was quoting scripture, and it took me a little longer even to find it in the Bible, and he began to quote from the book of Ephesians. And I remember thinking when he gets to the end of chapter 1 that he will probably be done and then share his message. And he went on to chapter 2, and then I thought, well, probably, surely when he gets past the end of chapter 2, he'll stop and give us his message. And he kept on going, and finally I thought, this man is going to quote the entire book of Ephesians. And he did. And I remember thinking, what a, what a blessing we were about to have for a man to speak to us who loves the word and cares enough about it to put it in his heart and his mind. So um, that's Dewey. Dewey, why don't you come up here? Dewey comes to us from Zion Mennonite Church in uh, Pryor, Oklahoma. Is that right? Pryor, is that the name? of the, There's a couple of towns there, so I'm not sure which one's actually uh, Pryor's good. And uh, we asked Dewey to come and speak to us this morning. So Dewey, I'd like to just pray for you sure. and then uh, turn you loose and let, you, let the Lord speak to us through you. Amen. Father, I bring your servant to you. We, uh, just as we have prayed for our hearts and our ears to be open, I pray for his ears to be open to your Holy Spirit, for his mind to be controlled by your Holy Spirit, for his lips to be controlled, for your word to speak powerfully through him. What an incredible privilege it is to work in tandem with the Holy Spirit in declaring the truth from your word, God. And I pray that you would just release him now to speak what you want to have him say to us and we will receive it as from you. God, may you be glorified by your servant in Jesus' name. Amen. Blessings. Thank you. Notice I didn't run up here like Merlin did a while ago. And I know my limitations. I'd be flat on my face if I tried to jump up here like he did. So yes, I am uh, happy to be here with you this morning. I am Dewey Matthews. Uh, I grew up. Uh, I don't know my directions here, but southeast of here, near Rosedale, Ohio, West Liberty, Ohio, was the town I grew up in, a uh, family of nine children, and, and my mother raised us most of our life, but uh, yeah, so I, I grew up in Ohio and, and uh, went to Oklahoma, where I met my wife, who was down there from Oregon going to school, and she wasn't my wife then, but uh, I had an experience with the Lord while I was there, a very come back to the Lord from a prodigal experience until uh, I lived for about seven years of my life. But anyway, uh, I, by the way, that song you sang, Jesus paid it all. That was the song 
I sat right down here on the front bench in town out shallow water, Kansas, and, and there was a battle going on on that bench that night because I'd walked away from the Lord for seven years, and, and I was there in revival meetings by the grace of God and by God's appointment. And there, there was, the bench was shaking, or at least I was shaking. And, and finally, during that song somewhere, Jesus paid it all. I, I fell to the floor weeping and uh, repenting of my sin before God. And, and God just, just took a hold of me and restored my life, restored me into fellowship with him. All to him I owe, all to him I owe. 100%, all to him I owe. Uh, I could do nothing for myself to come out of that bondage, but Jesus set me free. His blood cleansed me. His spirit filled me. And here I am today, renewed in Christ Jesus. And I'm so thankful. I love Jesus from the depths of my heart. He is my Savior and my Lord. And so after that happened, I went into VS, voluntary service in, in Mississippi. And uh, I'm still dating the girl from Oregon that was in Oklahoma. They moved to Indiana during that time. And uh, when I got out of voluntary service, went back to Indiana, and I married my, my wife, who was Stella Paulus. She became Stella Matthews. And we lived in Indiana for 10 years. Uh, just I was a logger, cutting timber with my father-in-law, and uh, had some experiences there. But it worked in the church anyway. God could use me, and then God finally, I knew he was calling me to some kind of ministry, and he made it very clear from a call to Oklahoma 32 years ago that uh, I was, he was calling me out there to pastor a church, which I had never done in my life, anything close to that. So he took me out there, and, and I was green behind the ears, and I still feel like I am after 32 years. But here I am, and uh, married to my wife for 42 years, and we have six children of our own, and we have eight grandchildren. Uh, well, they're not all grandchildren yet, but they're in the process of being, three of them are in the process of being adopted, and we're sure it's going to happen, so we, we claim them all. So I have, yeah, four biological grandchildren, and four will be adopted grandchildren. So I'm so thankful for every one of them. And uh, it's a long story. But anyway, here I am. And I'm happy to be here with you this week. I really am. I'm looking forward to this time with you. And as I hear your names, forgive me if I don't remember them because Curvin, right? I kind of remember that one. And there's a few others I might remember, but I hope to get to know you a little bit better this week. <clears throat> so I want to share out of Isaiah chapter 40 today, if you want to turn there, Isaiah chapter 40, anybody know who wrote Isaiah chapter 40? Well, trivia question, I believe it was the Holy Spirit that wrote Isaiah chapter 40, holy man of God moved, spoke as they were moved by the Holy Ghost, says in James, so the Holy Spirit wrote this. It is God's word. So I'm going to read the entire chapter because it's a short chapter of only 31 verses. So I just want to, and I read out of the King James because that's where I've memorized scripture from. It's, it's the word that I love. And, and I, I use all the other uh, translations to study and that kind of thing. But, but I fall back on the, the King James because I love the King James version. The prophet says, comfort ye, comfort ye my people, saith the Lord God. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem and cry unto her. 
that her warfare is accomplished and that her iniquity is pardoned. For she hath received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted. Every mountain and hill shall be made low. And the crooked shall be made straight and the rough places plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. The voice said, cry. And he said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all the goodliness thereof is the flower of the field. The grass withereth, the flower fades, because the Spirit of the Lord bloweth upon it. Surely the people is grass. The the grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. O Zion, that bringeth good tidings, get thee up into the high mountain. O Jerusalem, that bringeth good tidings, lift up thy voice with strength. Lift it up, be not afraid. Say unto the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God will come with strong hand, and his arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his work before him. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arm, and carry them in his bosom, and shall gently lead those that are with with young. Who hath measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, and meted out heaven with the span, and comprehended the dust of the earth, In a measure, and weighed the mountains in scales, and the hills in balance. Who hath directed the Spirit of the Lord, or been his counselor, or being his counselor, hath taught him? With whom took he counsel, and who instructed him, and taught him in the path of judgment, and taught him knowledge, and showed to him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are as a drop of a bucket, and are counted as the small dust of the balance. Behold, he taketh up the isles as very little thing. And Lebanon is not sufficient to burn, nor the beasts thereof sufficient for a burnt offering. All nations before him are as nothing, and they are accounted to him less than nothing and vanity. To whom then will ye liken God, or what likeness will ye compare unto him? The workman melteth a graven image, and the goldsmith spreadeth it over with gold and casteth silver change. chains. He that is so impoverished that he hath no oblation chooses a tree that will not rot. He seeketh unto him a cunning workman to prepare a graven image that shall not be moved. Have ye not known? Have ye not heard? Hath it not been told you from the beginning? I have ye not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he that sitteth upon the circle of the earth, and the inhabitants thereof are his grasshoppers, that stretcheth out the heavens as a curtain, and spreadeth them out as a tent to dwell in, that bringeth the princes to nothing. He maketh the judges of the earth as vanity." Yea, they shall not be planted. Yea, they shall not be sown. Yea, their stock shall not take root in the earth. And he shall also blow upon them, and they shall wither. And the whirlwind shall take them away as stubble. To whom then will ye liken me? Or who shall I be equal? Saith the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high, and behold, who hath created these things? Who bringeth out their host by number? He calleth them all by names, by the greatness of his might. For that he is strong in power, not one faileth. Why sayest thou, O Jacob, and speakest, O Israel, my way is hid from the Lord, and my judgment is passed over from my God? Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard, that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary, there is no searching of his understanding. He giveth power to the faint, and to them that have no might, he increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall." But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. 
They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. I thank you, Heavenly Father, today for your precious word. I thank you, Lord Jesus, as we wait on you this morning, that they that do wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength and mount up with wings as eagles, run and not be weary and walk and not faint. Because, Lord, you are God, and you give strength, and you give power. And I thank you for that, Father God. I thank you that you're here in our midst this morning, Father, and I thank you again for the power of your word. Your word is alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit of joint and marrow. It's a discerner of all the hearts here this morning, the thoughts and intents of every heart. So I thank you for that, Lord, for the promise that your word will not return void. I thank you, God, this morning, especially that I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. The life I live in the flesh, I live by faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's in Christ's name that I pray for his sake. Amen. Well, the title of the message this morning is Prepare Ye the Way of the Lord. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. The NIV says, prepare the way for the Lord. Uh, I don't know about you, but we've been thinking about revival for quite a while. There in Oklahoma, we just had Titus Mass from Nomburg, uh, New York, this past Sunday through Wednesday. And so we were in anticipation of that every Wednesday since the middle of September. We designate every Wednesday as a day of prayer and fasting uh, for those meetings, uh, and so then we had those meetings, and then I've been praying and, and asking the Lord what he wants me to share up here at Riverview uh, Christian Church, is that Fellowship. Christian Fellowship, okay, so, so I've been kind of in the mindset of revival, I've been in the mindset of revival, I've been thinking a lot about revival, and I trust you've been praying for revival too, I know you have. And I appreciate that so much, that you've been praying for me. Uh, I, I find that very humbling and very, very needful. I'm, I'm a person that's in much need of prayer. But thinking about revival, and I believe Isaiah's message here is a picture of revival. It's a message of revival. It really is. Listen, when, when you and I individually, when we prepare the way for the Lord to come in to our lives and into our hearts. And we prepare the way of the Lord in our hearts for the Lord to work in and through us, to reach out, to help others prepare the way for the Lord into their lives and hearts. That's a picture of revival. Amen? That's a picture of revival. So this is really a message about revival. Verse one, comfort ye, comfort ye my people, saith the Lord. Comfort ye. That reminds me of a quote that I dearly love from the Prince of Preachers. Uh, uh, What's his name? Charles Spurgeon. But the quote goes like this. The grand purpose of all preaching is to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. So this morning I'll let you decide what you are. If, whether you're Comfortable and need to be afflicted, or if you're afflicted and need to be comforted, whichever that is, I pray the Lord will have his way and do that work in your life and heart this morning. But comfort ye my people. I believe true comfort and peace in our hearts comes from knowing that the way of the Lord is prepared into our heart and life, and that the Lord is working in and through our hearts and lives to reach out to others to help them to prepare. I believe that's where we are in a state of peace with God 
where, where we have comfort and peace. Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people. Verses three and four. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted. Every mountain and hill shall be made low. And the crooked shall be made straight. And the rough places made plain. What is Isaiah the prophet talking about there? Some of the commentaries I've read said, well, the, the picture that, that Isaiah's audience would have had in their minds there is when, a, when a, an eastern monarch or king was going to pay a visit somewhere and needed to go through a rough desert place that that king or that monarch would send messengers ahead to reveal his travel plans. And then there would go out commissioners and superintendents and highway crews and they would make a way through the rough wilderness desert and they would level the... They didn't have the machinery we have today, right? But somehow or other, these, these crews would level the mountains that were before them and they would fill up the valleys and they would make the crooked places straight and they would smooth the rough places so that the way of the monarch would be safer and it would be quicker. And sometimes those roads, those what they call super highways, would be named after the monarch or the king that ordered them and funded them. That's the picture that those people would have had. I was coming up, uh, I wish I had my directions here. Which is west? That's west, okay. Which is south? <laughs> so I was coming up Interstate 44 through Missouri. That, that direction, right? Okay, I was coming up. And you know, the, the high cliffs on both sides of the highway and, and the, the guardrails protecting from, from the drop-offs to the, to the lower parts beneath. And, and it was obvious that they had taken some, some uh, crooked places and made them straight so that, you know, you could drive 70, 75 mile an hour without being in danger. And they made the rough places smooth. That, that happens when, when there are highway crews out there. and You've seen that happen probably as you've watched highways being built. And so, but what Isaiah is talking about here, what Isaiah is proclaiming, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. He's not talking about some road crew going out there and building a superhighway. That's not really what he's talking about here, even though that's a picture that those people that listened to his message would have, would have pictured. But uh, Isaiah's message is a call to repentance. It really is. Who is, in verse 3, who is this voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord? Who is that voice? Somebody tell me. John the Baptist. John the Baptist. I want you to turn, hold your place here, but turn to Luke chapter 3, if you would. Turn to Luke chapter 3. Isaiah's message is a message for a future time. It's prophetic. All four Gospels tell us it was fulfilled in John the Baptist as his, as his call to be the forerunner of Christ, announcing the coming of the Messiah, which he did. So Luke chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. Now in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius, Sirius, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of Etruria, and of the region of, I can't pronounce these names right, Trachonotus and Licinius, the tetrarch of Abilene, Annas and Caiaphas being the high priests and the word God 
And the word of God came unto John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. And he came into all the country about Jordan, preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled. Every mountain and hill shall be brought low. And the crooked shall be made straight. And the rough ways shall be made smooth. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Then said he to the multitude that came forth to be baptized of him, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth, therefore, fruits worthy of repentance, and begin not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. I skip down to 15. And as the people were in expectation, all men mused in their hearts of John, whether he were the Christ or not. John answered, saying unto them, saying to them all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I cometh the latches of whose shoes I am not worthy to unloose. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, whose hand is, fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and will gather the wheat into his garner, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. I just want you to notice here and see Isaiah's message as a message to prepare the way for the Lord is a message of repentance. It's a message of repentance. Verse 3 says, John came preaching the baptism of what? Of repentance. Baptism of repentance in order uh, for the remission of sins, for the forgiveness of sin. And notice he says, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. And so clearly, to prepare the way of the Lord, to make his path straight so he can come into our heart, there needs to be repentance. There needs to be repentance. And then in verse 8, he says, bring forth fruit that is worthy of repentance. And so we need to have the fruits of righteousness to replace the sin and things that were in our life that were not pleasing to God, that, uh, that the way of the Lord was not prepared into our hearts. And so, back to Isaiah chapter 40. In verse 4, the same thing John quoted in Luke chapter 3, where it says, Every valley shall be exalted, every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain. I believe that that filling of the valleys and that leveling of the mountains and that making straight of the crooked places and that smoothing out the rough places is a picture of repentance. It's a picture of repentance. This, this, that is, we need to knock down the hills, the high hills and the mountains of pride in our life, sinful pride and of self-will and of rebellion, doing things our own way. We need to fill in the valleys of doubt and fear and unbelief and self-reliance. We need to straighten the crooked ways of our sinful habits, lying, sexual lusting, coveting, stealing, cheating, unforgiveness, and on and on we could go. And we need to smooth out the rough places through the fruits of righteousness. That's true repentance. That's how we prepare the way for the Lord 
to come into our hearts. Prepare the way for the Lord to work in, an, in our lives and in our hearts in order to reach out to the world around us to help them prepare their hearts for the Lord to come in and do his work in their lives. And I believe when we are faithful through genuine repentance to prepare the way of the Lord, verse five will come to pass. I know it did in my life. It says, Jesus will come in and his glory will be revealed in and through us, every one. This is what verse five says. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. So when it happens in our life, when we prepare the way of the Lord and the glory of the Lord comes in, everybody notices. Your family will notice. Your friends will notice. Your neighbors will notice. Your coworkers will notice. There is something different about you. There is something different about you. And that is true revival. Now, here's what I believe. This is the deal. I believe this thing called repentance is not a one-time thing. Like Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. You receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Yes, that's our initial coming to the Lord and our initial new birth, born-again experience. But I believe repentance is a way of life. I believe it's a matter of maintenance in our lives. That when the Lord, at least that's the way it works for me. When the Lord reveals something to me in my life that is not pleasing to him, then I need to repent of it. So that the Lord can continue to work through my life. I think of Revelation. How Jesus inspecting the churches there, the seven churches. And he comes to the church at Ephesus and he said, I have somewhat against you because you have left your first love. And what did Jesus tell him to do? He told him to repent, amen? I think of the church of Sardis, the church that looked like it was alive, but it was dead because sin had crept into the church and their garments were defiled and there was more of them defiled than not. And Jesus said unto them, you need to repent. The church of Pergamos, which was friendly with the world and had these different doctrines, the doctrine of Baal and the doctrine of Nicolaitans, Jesus told them to repent. And then the church of the Laodiceans. And see, we all have these tendencies. We all have these sinful tendencies to leave our first love, Jesus. To be a friend of the world, to allow sin to creep into our lives. And like the church at Laodicea, we, we tend to become lukewarm in our relationship with Jesus. And Jesus told the church of the Laodiceans, be zealous, therefore, and repent. Repentance is a way of life. It's, it's, a, it's a way of maintaining our, our relationship with Jesus. You know, I've never seen a highway yet that didn't need maintenance for potholes in it. Maybe that don't happen up here in Michigan or Indiana. And, and ruts in it and, and buckling highways. And, you know, they need to be relined. They need to be resurfaced. And all the way up here from, from Oklahoma was these orange barrels. I mean, everywhere. Well, what's that a sign of? What's that a picture of? That's a picture of, of, of road maintenance, you know. And it, it's a sign to us that we need to have maintenance in our relationship with Jesus. And that maintenance comes 
uh, through the Holy Spirit convicting us of sin and then us repenting of our sin. So repentance is a way of life. It, at least it is for me. And oftentimes in the Bible, it calls us to repent. Now, I think Isaiah gives some pretty good reasons here why we should make sure that the way of the Lord is prepared into our hearts to work in and through us to help others prepare the way of the Lord. So the first one is in verses 6 and 7, and that is that life is very brief. Life is very brief and very uncertain. It says in verse 6 and 7, the voice said, cry, and he said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all the goodliness thereof is the flower of the field. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, because the Spirit of the Lord bloweth upon it. Surely the people is grass. Wow. The people is grass, the like the flower that fadeth. I think, I wonder how many of us had tulips and daffodils in the spring around our homes. Anybody? They're not there now, are they? You know, here for a minute and then gone. That's what Jesus, that's what Isaiah said, our life is like. He says over here in Isaiah 38, verse 1, God told Hezekiah, or God told Isaiah to go to Hezekiah and say, you get your house in order. Why? Because you're going to die. You're not going to live. Life is brief. Life is uncertain. We don't know when our time of death is. James 4.14, what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for just a short time and then vanishes away. Poof, it's gone. The uncertainty, the brevity of life. You know, you and I can't afford to flirt with, with uh, holding off and preparing the way of the Lord into our lives because of the brevity of life. We don't know when we'll take our last breath. We don't. God knows, but we don't. Hebrews 9, 27 says, is appointed unto man once to die, but after this, the judgment. So we can't put off preparing the way for the Lord into our, into our hearts because of the brevity of life. The reason number two is that God's word is eternal. Verse eight says, the grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand. So that means if we are like grass and like the flower, that just disappears and God's word endures forever, guess what? When we pass away, God's word is still there. It's still there. I'm just saying that in this short life that we have, we can, we can ignore God's word. We can resist God's word. We can rebel against God's word. We can ignore it. Uh, we can neglect it. We can argue against it, but when we pass on, the word of the Lord is still there, and everything it says about God and about man and about our sinfulness and about our need of a Savior and about Jesus Christ and about judgment and about heaven and about hell, that word is still there, and it is still truth. It is still truth. Jesus said, thy word is truth. David said, forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. It's not going to go away. So I'm just saying, we can, we can neglect it. We can rebel against it. We can resist it. We can argue against it. We can ignore it. But it is going to outlast us. And finally, we're going to be judged by God's word. The brevity of God's life and the eternity of his word. Reason number three, because when we prepare the way of the Lord into our hearts personally, then God can use us to proclaim the good news, to help others prepare the way into their hearts. And that's verse nine. Verse nine says, O Zion, that bringeth good tidings, 
Get thee up into the high mountain, O Jerusalem, that bringeth good tidings. Lift up thy voice with strength. Lift it up. Be not afraid. Say unto the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold your God. You know, what a privilege. What a privilege it is to be able to allow God to use us to proclaim the good tidings of the gospel. Amen? What a privilege it is. All to him we owe. And we need to be about that. John the Baptist was faithful in announcing the Messiah's first coming. He was the forerunner of Christ. You and I are responsible not only to announce his first coming for salvation, but also to announce his second coming for judgment and for salvation of the righteous, helping others prepare the way for the Lord. So what a privilege that is. And the fourth reason is because of judgment. Verse 10 Behold, the Lord God will come with strong hand, and his arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his work before him. So prepare ye the way of the Lord. Why? Because he is coming to judge and to rule. He is coming to rule and to reward. Listen to a couple verses in Revelation chapter 11. Verse 15 and verse 18 says, And the seventh angel sounded, and there were sounded his trumpet and there were great voices in heaven saying the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever verse 18 and the nations were angry and thy wrath is come in the time of the dead that it should be that they should be judged and that thou mayest give reward unto the servants of prophet to the saints and them that fear thy name small and great and shouldst destroy them which destroy the earth you know, it is appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. Behold, the Lord God will come with a strong hand. Verse 19 and 20 reveal that man is always trying to make God into an image that they feel comfortable with, one that they can control, one that allows them to worship as they please. Verse 18 asks, to whom then will ye liken God? Or what likeness will you compare to him? You know, I believe we need, to, we need to sit up and take notice. Because when God comes back, when Jesus comes back, we stand before him as our judge. He's not going to be the God of ESPN or Fox Sports. He's not going to be the God of, of social media and all other kinds of technology. He's not going to be the God of success or the God of hunting and fishing. He's not going to be the God of popularity. He's not going to be the God of fun and entertainment. We're not going to stand before the God of education, the God of religion, the God of health and exercise. It's not going to be Buddha. It's not going to be Allah. It's not going to be the great spirit in the sky or Muhammad. But behold the Lord God. He is the God of verses 13 and 14. Who hath directed the spirit of the Lord, or being his counselor, hath taught him? With whom took he counsel, and who instructed him and taught him in the path of judgment, and taught him knowledge, and showed to him the way of understanding? Did you ever get a call from God on your cell phone? Hey, can you give me some advice today? You ever get God advice? We may try sometimes. But no, we can't give God advice. He works all things after the counsel of his own will. He's not looking to us for advice. 
He's the God of verses 15 and 17. Behold, the nations are as a drop of bucket and are counted as a small dust of the balance. Behold, he taketh up the isles as a very little thing. All nations before him are as nothing and they are counted to him less than nothing in vanity. Wow. I think of the, the nation of Russia, the nation of China, some of the nations America fears, the nation of India, these, these huge nations, the nation of Africa, the nation of America, just a drop in the bucket to God. There is nothing to him. That's the God that we're going to stand before. That's the God we're going to stand before. He's the God of verses 21 to 23. Have you not known? Have you not heard? Hath it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he that sitteth upon the circle of the earth. And the inhabitants thereof are as grasshoppers. That stretches out the heavens as a curtain. That spreadeth them out as a tent to dwell in. That bringeth the princes to nothing. And makes the judges of the earth as vanity. God is sovereign. He is sovereign. We may look at the world leaders today and we may, we may fear some, we may be in disgust of some, but you know what? God is sovereign. And he is the God that we're going to stand before someday. He's the God of 25 and 26. To whom then will you liken me? Or who shall I be equal with, saith the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and behold who hath created these things. And bringeth out their hosts, or the stars by number. He calleth them all by names, by the greatness of his might. For he that is strong in power, for he is strong in power, not one faileth. That's the God that we're going to stand before. And guess what? Verse 27 says, we can't hide anything from God. Amen? That's what they were trying to do. O Jacob, speaketh, O Israel, my way is saying, my way is hid from the Lord, and my judgment is passed over from my God. No. God knows everything about us. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. Everything is naked and open before him to whom we must give account. God knows everything about us. And we're going to stand before him someday in judgment. And the fifth reason he gives here is because God is here to help us. He's here to help as we prepare the way to the Lord into our lives, for God to work in and through our lives to help other people, God is here. He promised to help us. And that's what verses 28 to 31 talk about. Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary. There is no searching of his understanding. He giveth power to the faint and to them that have no might. He increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. God is here to help us. God is here to help us. And so, this is a picture, it's a message of repentance. That the, that the mountains of pride and rebellion and self-effort, self-reliance and doing our own thing, going our own way, need to come down. The valleys of doubt, fear, and unbelief, and self-reliance need to be filled up. And the crooked ways of, of all the sins we can think of, lust and envy and covetousness and, and theft, stealing and lying and so forth, unforgiveness, right on down the line, 
Those need to be made straight. They need to be done away with, taken out of the way, and then the smoothing with the fruits of righteousness. Let's bow for prayer. God, I thank you for this message from Isaiah, the prophet. Was John the Baptist shared a message of repentance. Lord, I know you know into each of our lives, you know each of our hearts. There's nothing hid from you. Life is brief. You are coming back, Lord God. And we will stand before you someday in judgment. And I pray, Lord, that we have prepared the way for the Lord into our hearts and lives. And we are preparing our hearts and lives so that the Lord can use us to help others be prepared because he is working in and through us. God, it's my prayer this week during these series of meetings that, Lord, as you speak in to hearts and lives, that we will be real with you. We will allow the Holy Spirit to search us, know our hearts, try us, know our thoughts, see if there be any wicked way in us, in us and lead us in the way everlasting. And God, we'd be quick, we would be quick to, to repent where there needs to be repentance in our lives. And this morning, with your, with your heads bowed, if, if you just want to make that commitment this week that when God speaks to you, maybe he already has, but as God speaks to you about something in your life that is keeping the way of the Lord from being prepared into your life, to work in your life, to work through your life, to help others, that you would just make that commitment to, yes, Lord, I want to I repent of whatever is in my life that is not pleasing to you, that is not allowing you to work through me as you want to. And God will help you. If that would be your commitment, could I just see your hands up and down this morning? Amen. Father God, thank you again for your word to us today. Lord, how many times, how many times this pastor has been on his knees before you repenting of things in my life, Lord, that I knew were not pleasing to you, whether it was pride, whether it was some sin, uh, whatever it was, Lord, I thank you that we have the opportunity to repent and to be forgiven. If we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, from everything, Lord, that would hinder you from working in and through our lives, preparing the way of the Lord into our hearts. God, I pray, and I thank you, Lord, for this, these dear people of yours. And I pray you continue to speak to us, Lord. Continue to speak to me through your word. I pray, and I ask it in Jesus' name, for his sake, amen.